Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. So, so excited to share. Uh, we're working through the Beatitudes in a series called uh, Citizen. And uh, just it's basically about what it means to be a citizen of God. So this is the Beatitudes or the beginning of Matthew 5. It's the beginning of Jesus's most iconic, famous sermon ever. Um, and this is the beginning where he's like, hey, this is what it means to be a citizen in my kingdom. My kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. So he comes and gives us like the ethics and the culture of his kingdom because we just wouldn't naturally assume that things are this way. It's so disruptive to the way that our world lives. It's so backwards and opposite. There's a scripture in Isaiah where Isaiah talks about like when God's kingdom comes, you'll see like lions and lambs like dwelling together in harmony and peace. And it's just this God's really fun way of saying like, I'm going to reverse everything. I'm going to come and flip the world on its head and things will never be the same. And so this is like following these beatitudes and obeying them and letting our life be characterized by them is like the quickest pathway to really embracing what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom and how to live life with him well. So I get to preach out of a really fun one with you this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So being that Jesus, this is his way of, of showing to us that his kingdom works differently than ours, he's telling us something very profound about our culture and our world, not just today, but forever when he says this, that in his kingdom, mercy is rewarded, but in other kingdoms, mercy doesn't tend to be rewarded. Mercy is not like a today, because like the Christian worldview has had such a profound effect, it's maybe a little bit more true than it would have been then, but I still think you can just look at culture and you can see where wrath is celebrated where it's, it's like the go-to method, mercy and forgiveness, like it just isn't the way that we tend to go. We become the, the judges of these things of whether or not someone's really deserving of forgiveness. And if we say they're not, then we're not going to do that. We're not going to forgive them because the fact, that, the fact of the matter is like having to forgive someone costs you something. So the idea that you would be rewarded by that just doesn't make sense apart from the teaching of Jesus Christ. When he comes on the scene and says, actually, it's good for you to show mercy. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Why? He says in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you of your offenses. That's like an ouch. Um, so the question is, how, how does that work? Because it, Jesus sounds a lot like he's saying that God's forgiveness and his mercy is conditional, right? And you're like, Wait, so am I not going to go to heaven if the day I die, I got a little bit of unforgiveness left in my heart? Like, no, I don't think that's the point. So we would say in theological terms, this verse is not speaking into soteriology. Big word, write that one down. <laughs> um, so the point is not like, no, hey, if you don't forgive, you're going to lose your salvation. No, uh, that's not the idea. Um, it's the same way that like people, when they get to heaven, can't stand before God and go, but I forgave people. And he's like, well, that wasn't the standard to get in. It was the blood. So it's, it's not this question of, like, I'm going to freak out, like, wait, am I really living life with God? Am I not going to go to heaven because I, I've been struggling to forgive this person? It's like, well, no, the blood of Jesus did what it did. And it complete, so it's, you're washed, you're in, you're cleaned by believing in Jesus and confessing with your mouth that he's Lord, surrendering your life to him. It's like... Boom, that's it. So God's forgiveness of you is like, it's predicated upon the blood of Jesus. But then Jesus comes in and says, well, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. 
And it's like, well, so then, I, well, but then, so, well, well uh, <laughs> and it like starts to get complicated. So here's the best way to explain it. I would say that this verse means that our peace with God is interrupted by unforgiveness because it's sin. It's sin. So like the peace with God that I'm experiencing when my sin is confessed and I've laid it all out before the Lord and I know I'm being honest with him and I've gone back and re like pursued his forgiveness. Like when unforgiveness is still in you and you refuse to acknowledge that that it's wrong and that it needs to die and you need to lay it down, your peace with God will be disrupted and you will feel it right? So really, it's like the Lord's like, I am not going to stop convicting you so long as you feel and you maintain this unforgiveness and this bitterness. So like the lightness of being forgiven by God through fellowship with him will be disrupted because your choice to be in bitterness and to not express mercy is actively hindering that fellowship. That's what's happening. So it's like, we all know this, like when you screw up and then you haven't made things right with someone and you like go to bed anxious and wake up anxious, man, that's the worst. You know when you go to bed anxious and you're like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, I'm going to feel fine. And you wake up and it's the first thing on your mind. You're like, dang it, I tried to sleep through this one and it didn't work. I need to make things right. Obviously, it's a little bit different because our relationship with God is just better and different than our relationship with human beings. But it's a very similar feeling of like, oh, I messed up. I need to make things right. And I'm going to feel gross until I make things right. Like That is a very close parallel of what conviction is like for those who have refused to show mercy. Is Jesus is like, Hey, the, like, the beauty of my forgiveness in this moment, like, you're not going to fully feel it because you're refusing to be like me and you're holding on to sin. Um, and so Jesus' words here are a really fun, super difficult way of saying, hey, in my kingdom, mercy is not an option. It's not a choice. It's a requirement. It's a commandment and it's an expectation. If you're going to be in my kingdom, it's not about if you forgive. It's when. You are expected and commanded to forgive. There's like no getting around this. It's, it's very clear. Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. <gasps> okay, okay. Uh, maybe I should work on that then because this bitterness is not going to work out for me because I want peace with God. So I, I kind of just want to break down like the three most important reasons why it makes sense for us in this kingdom to walk in mercy. And then we'll talk about what that forgiveness looks like. But so why? Why forgive? So the first reason kind of what I'm hitting on already is, well, wouldn't you rather be intimate with God? If being in bitterness is going to be a hindrance to your peace with God, oh man, you better be committed to killing bitterness. And you better just like refuse to not show mercy because it's going to get in the way of you and Jesus being close. When we read those verses in verse 14 and 15, they're right after a really famous passage called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done under this. You know that one? You know? Any ex-Catholics know that one? Come on. Um, they throw some cool stuff on the end of there instead of this verse, for thine is the kingdom, the glory. You know, they, they get into that whole thing. But Jesus follows up that verse, that prayer, with for if you forgive others their offenses, your Father in heaven will forgive you as well. So he goes into this moment where like the disciples are so fascinated with the way that Jesus prays because he understood what it meant to be a son of, like to be God's son. So profoundly, I just imagine that his prayer was different and he could spend hours doing it and he loved it. So they're like, Jesus, how are you praying like that? Can you teach us to pray? And he's like, so he gives us the Lord's Prayer, which is this beautiful demonstration of how to embrace, like how to engage with God intimately through prayer. So for Jesus to follow up this intimate like model of how to talk with God, to follow that up immediately with, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. He like is instantaneously making the, the issue of forgiveness an intimacy issue. 
because that's what it follows. He connects these two things very closely. The context has to help. We have to put those two things together. If you're going to engage with God intimately, well, do you know that thing I just explained to you of how to pray to God this way? It's going to be interrupted and stopped and broken, and it's not going to be the way it's meant to be so long as you do not show mercy and forgive those who have hurt you and offended you. So your friendship with God will be damaged if you choose to live in bitterness and to show mercy and not to show mercy. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. So I tend to be like when I'm in the presence of God, I'm like trying to kill distraction. Like, God, I just want to focus on you and think about you. But there's a certain context where Jesus goes, well, actually, I want you to think about the person that you need to forgive. Before you come and focus on me, you need to get that crap out of your heart. Which is like, that's offensive to me, because I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't I just be soaking and beholding your glory, God? I just want to see your face. And he's like, well, forgive. You want to be, so it's like this, it's, this is one of those rebuke moments from Jesus where I'm like, oh, you're making things so conven- inconvenient for me, where, you know, it just kind of tends to go that way, where he's like, when does Jesus say the right moment? When you stand praying, because bitterness and unforgiveness don't work in my presence. You want to come and be in my presence? You want to enjoy me? You want to worship me? You want to offer a worship that's pure? You can't do it with bitterness in your heart. You cannot do it with unforgiveness. Do you want to offer a sacrifice to me that I'm pleased with? You can't do it with the heart that you have right now. It is hindering you from being able to offer something to me that I'm worthy of, which is, that's like a big deal. And so for us in the kingdom of God, we have to say, okay, if closeness with God is a priority for me, then so is forgiveness. Because it's one of these huge things that Jesus came back to over and over and over again that will keep me from engaging with him closely. It like, it rots the bones. It's dead. It's death to the inner man. It's so deadly. You don't think about it. The way that bitterness can just eat you alive and kill you. But it's not something you were made to experience or feel. Like God didn't design you with unforgiveness in mind. And so it's just like this disease that creeps in and just kills you from the inside out. It's so deadly. And the first thing it kills is your intimacy with Jesus. Okay, the second reason we forgive. Second reason we forgive is because unforgiveness makes no sense in light of the gospel. There's this really awesome parable that Jesus gives, and it's brutal. Oh, I love him. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 18, it's, uh, it's, a good, it's kind of long. I'm going to read it. Bear with me here. So there's this conversation. It says, Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So something really interesting here. This was like not an uncommon question to be asked of like someone like a rabbi or a religious teacher because there was, I mean, there was just confusion about how many times do I have to forgive somebody? I know forgiveness is a good idea and I know it should express mercy because that's what God's like, but how often, how far do I go? So the common like rabbinic teaching of the time was that you should forgive someone up to three times. And after the third time, you didn't need to forgive them anymore. So Peter comes trying to impress Jesus. Jesus, should I forgive up to seven times? Wow, Peter, four more times? Oh, yeah, that's it. And Jesus goes, no, 70 times, seven times. So it's Jesus' way of saying, stop counting, weirdo. It's unlimited. You forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you, forgive and you keep going until forever. It's like, because... 70 times 7, 490. The thought is not like, oh man, you're on 489. You're on 489. So just know, like, you're cutting it close, bro. You're, like, you get to the 491st defense and you're like, ah, there it is. I don't have to forgive anymore, according to Jesus. It's like, I don't think that was his point, bro. 
he's, he's expressing to us, like, you forgive infinitely. No matter what, every single time you forgive. So, so this parable, Jesus is setting us up for something that's going to be really offensive to the flesh. That's, how I, that's how I'm, what I'm feeling right now. In verse 23, uh, he says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So this guy, a bunch of people owe him money. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is 6,000 days work. That's two, or excuse me, one talent is 6,000 days work. 10,000 talents is 200,000 years of work. Oh, oh, this guy owes him a lot of money. This is like a Wells Fargo situation, you know? Uh, this is, this is crazy. 10,000, like 200. So just imagine how much money you made this year, this fiscal year. Now multiply that by 200,000. That's a lot of money, you know? That's a lot, okay? This is like actual, like, I mean, they would have been doing something in metal. So this is like literal tons of silver. Like thousands and thousands of pounds of silver. It's an unfathomable amount. How this guy wound up in that much debt, I don't know. This is like student debt to the next level. Like, that is crazy. Anyway, okay. So one who owed 10,000, 200,000 years worth of wages was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. So you would be, going, you would be sold, like if you owed someone a debt, sold into slavery, you and your whole family would have to work to pay it off. So if you owe $200,000 or 200,000 years of wages, fun fact, you're not living that long. So you just will never be, what's happening here is this guy was about to, him and his whole family and generations and generations and generations and generations to come forever were going to be in slavery to this man and his family forever. Like forever. That's how much he owes. And then at verse 26, it says, at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Cap, no, you won't. That's not possible. <laughs> then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. So he pleads for forgiveness. The master says, okay, you know what? Fine. I won't hold it against you. I'm going to forgive you the debt. You're free to go. Can you imagine being forgiven of 200,000 years worth of debt? That's, in, that's an insane. That is billions and billions and billions of dollars. That's absurd. That's crazy. And he's just completely forgiven of it, which doesn't make any sense financially for the master, but it's okay. He's a great guy. Verse 28. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is 100 days of work. One denarii was a day's worth, a day's wages. So this guy, it's not a small amount. He owes him like a third of a year's worth of money, you know? So like average amount for like, I think like middle, middle class, like average income is like a somewhere like around 50,000. Is that right? Does anyone know? I don't know. I didn't Google it before this. I just thought of that right now. I don't, I don't make, I don't know how money works at all. I don't. <laughs> I'm going to get a really funny letter from the IRS in the next few years because I, I'm just in <laughs> Anyway, so just think like, a, so like somewhere in or around $20,000-ish. Let's just go there. I don't know the exact amount, but let's just imagine that's the number. So it's not a small amount, but it's nowhere close to 200,000 years worth of debt. Anyway, so 
Uh, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, 100 days' wages. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe me. And at this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed, and they went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after, then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So that's the gospel. You and I have been forgiven an unpayable debt. An unpayable debt. Like before the throne of God, there was literally nothing I could offer to make right, like to clean the slate with God, to take away the debt that I owed. Jesus paid the price, right, to forgive me. So Jesus is the man who who looks and goes, yeah, I know you owe me an eternity's worth of earnings, but it's okay. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to pay the price, and I'm going to treat you as if you never owed me anything. That's the forgiveness that Jesus expresses to us. So then the most absurd thing in the world is for us to look at other people and go, no, I can't forgive you. I will never have to forgive in the way that Jesus had to forgive. Ever. My forgiveness will never be as costly or as difficult as the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Ever. Like, there's just no shot your forgiveness is costing you crucifixion. Right? There's just no way. You'll never have to be like totally perfect and forgiving someone who has been committed to being your enemy from the moment they popped out of the womb. It just won't happen. And so in light of the gospel, Jesus goes, how can you be forgiven of so much and then still have unforgiveness in your heart towards those whose forgiveness, their sin in comparison to to yours against me, is it's not even worth comparing. It's so different. That's crazy. This is like one of the very few moments where Jesus like holds up the record of debt in our faces and is like, look, look. And it's not like a shame thing. He's just going, what you're doing doesn't make any sense. It, it does not in my kingdom. There's just no way you can think it makes sense to not forgive in light of how much I have forgiven you of. And the third reason we should forgive is that it gets in the way of what God wants to do in the world. So now we have to be kingdom minded, right? Second Corinthians chapter five, 18 through 19. Paul says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So the the, the work that Jesus came in to do in the world was to reconcile the world to himself. In other words, to make things right between him and the world, to bring peace between people and God to settle the account and end the war that's been going on in our souls where we've been waging war against God and wanting nothing. He comes to make that right so that there is not separation anymore, so that we can be reconciled, right? Does that make sense? We all know it's like he comes with, with, with terms of like a treaty and is like, let's be reconciled and not be at war anymore. Let's be allies now instead of enemies, okay? That's what Jesus comes to do. And then it says he has actually entrusted us with the ministry and the message of reconciliation, So it's my responsibility to to preach the gospel that Jesus came to reconcile the world to himself, that I am now carrying out that message. So the question is, how can you be an honest carrier of that message, an honest bearer of that ministry, if we do not seek ourselves reconciliation with those who sin against us? 
If the message of Jesus Christ is that he came to reconcile sinners to himself, how can I preach that message with a pure heart if I have not sought reconciliation with those who have sinned against me? I am not a bearer of that message in action. Right? I cannot preach that message with authority because I'm a hypocrite. And so it's like my, my words in, in walking and carrying out that ministry will fall short every time. They will fall flat because there's no authority. I've like revoked the spiritual authority I ought to have because I'm not following in Jesus' footsteps of reconciliation. In uh, Romans chapter 12, there's like a famous verse. It's a, it's a reference. I was talking to my buddies about it yesterday. I just found this out. This is great. It's timely. In Proverbs 25 is where it comes from. Where Solomon says that if you, if you show mercy and forgiveness and blessing to those who persecute you and hate you and offend you and do horrible things to you, he says if you continue to forgive and show mercy and to bless them, it will be as if you're heaping hot coals upon their head. And that teaching comes from in, uh, in Egypt. The practice was when you were outwardly expressing repentance, they you would carry a a pot of hot coals on your head. So it's literally like it was a demonstration of repentance. So when Paul says in Romans 2 that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, he's giving us this hint in Romans 12. It's also your kindness, expressing God's kindness, that can lead people to, repent, to repentance. You will be like crushing people's pride in your mercy and it will lead people to find reconciliation with God and to repent. That's a crazy statement. There's like... There are people whose hearts could be softened and it could lead them to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ if I choose to express mercy and forgiveness the way that Jesus chose to express it. If I'm going to carry out Jesus' ministry and message in this world, bitterness can have no place in my heart because it's a hindrance to his message. It is so opposite to what Jesus came to preach and what he came to do. So if we want to be kingdom-minded, we want to be citizens in this kingdom and spreading this kingdom all around the world, unforgiveness has to die. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are we good on that? I know this is like, it's one of those things that I also have to like follow this up now and be like, hey, by the way, I know it's easier, it's easier said than done. Forgiveness is like the hardest thing ever for us little fleshy people. But we don't get to like, we don't get to introduce a bunch of like weird standards that Jesus hasn't given to make forgiveness easier. That's just not how it works. Jesus comes with a very extreme message of what it means to forgive because he came and forgave us in a very extreme way. So I want to break down a few, three things that I think this our forgiveness and our mercy as Christians has to be characterized by. Because we're not meant to do forgiveness and mercy the way the world does it. Okay? So it's not like, by the world's standards, practice mercy. No, 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 no. Up against the mercy of God, practice mercy. Like that? Okay. So the first verse I want to look at, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. So he doesn't say, don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get frustrated. Don't, don't feel angry. Don't feel hurt and offended. Like, that's not what he said. That's a normal part of the human experience. But what do you do to handle that? He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. So reconciliation to the Christian is not this, I'll get there eventually. It's, I'm not going to let the sun go down. I'm not going to go to sleep mad. You know? I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to deal with this now and make sure that we are reconciled, that all of my relationships are restored, that I am at peace with everyone I know as far as it is up to me. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Why? Because it will give the enemy a foothold in your life. So what it actually turns out, forgiveness is a good idea for you. Because if you don't forgive, the enemy gains room in your life to take back territory and to mess with you and to steal from you and to kill and destroy. So if we choose not to express mercy and to live in our offenses and to let them eat us alive instead of making them right ASAP as soon as possible, 
You are giving the enemy room in your life to steal from you. Forgiveness and reconciliation, the second idea, they're not about vindicating yourself. It's not about like, we, we can make forgiveness into like, hey, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to forgive you. Like, you really suck. And what you did was so horrible. Just so you know, just BT does. But I'm going to forgive you anyway. It's like, wow, wow. Is that how Jesus came to you? You know, like, hey, you suck. And honestly, I hate you. And what, you, what you've done is horrible. But don't worry. Like, it's cool with me. Like, I'm just going to let it go. Like, wow, no. Uh, I actually think that Christian forgiveness should come with repentance. Because you've sinned against them by practicing unforgiveness. By being bitter and by clinging to your offenses, you've sinned against them. So actually, they need to forgive you. Like, you're also guilty now. There's blood on your hands now. So I think that Christian forgiveness needs to start with repentance. Like, I repent. I held things against you, and I did not forgive you, and I have not chosen to see you the way that Jesus sees you. And it doesn't, again, here's a horrible, horribly unwise thing to do. Man, I just, I just felt so much hatred in my heart. I just hated you because you're so horrible and terrible. And I just repent for feeling that way about you because you just suck and what you did was so terrible. And it was like eating me. It's like, no, bro. Like, it just, it's the same thing of like walking to someone and be like, I'm so sorry. I've just been gossiping about you. And they're like, oh, like, I wish you didn't tell me that. Like, I, you know, repent to the people that you've been gossiping with, not about. Had to learn that one the hard way. Uh, it just it makes things so much messier, you know. The thought is like, like repent and you guys know what I'm saying like do these things with wisdom please um, and the last thing is that forgiveness is not necessarily inward we like to be like man I just have forgiven them in my heart and that's valid okay there's, there's validity to that but Jesus says to seek reconciliation so what in Mark 11 he says like go and make things right with them go and make things right with them like so to whatever measure you can it's actually going to someone looking them in the eyes and being like hey I forgive you and I want to be, like, I want a relationship to be okay. And I want to, I want to have peace between us. And I'm going to let this go. Um, so some important points out of that. I feel like this is the point that always goes in a message on forgiveness. It's like, yeah, forgive people, but that doesn't mean that they get to have the same amount of trust. And I think it's one of those things that just, it's one of those conditions we make to make forgiveness easier. Now, again, we do this with wisdom. Because it's not about letting people walk all over you. And, like, when... Again, it's one of those things where I'm like, when people have done truly horrible things and you know what those kind of things are, it makes sense to not engage in further relationship with them. That just makes sense, right? But, you, but it's not this like every time you have to forgive someone, it's like, well, now I don't trust you. It's like, okay, dude, that's not, I don't think that's the vision of Jesus' kind of forgiveness. I, I feel like this is literally just always used as an excuse for us to not do forgiveness Jesus' way. It's, it's like there's this thing in us where we want to make forgiveness a fun thing to do. Hey, it's never going to be that way. You know, until you're perfectly sanctified, forgiveness is going to feel like death. That's the point. That's the point. It's so contrary to what we want to do. Nobody wants to do this, but we're commanded to do it. So it, it's just you have to, you know, even when you don't want to. So like, for example, living in L.A., I have to forgive people in L.A. who think it's cool to be late. What's wrong with you? You know, it was 9.15 and none of you were here. I just, like, let's, I'm forgiving you. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's, when I moved here, I was like, what is it with nobody being prompt ever? You know what? You're forgiven. I just, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. I know you think everything starts 30 minutes later than it starts. I know it's really weird, but I mean, I just forgive you in my heart because it's not a choice. I have to forgive you. I got a text from my buddy two days ago. I let him borrow one of my favorite books, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And he's an interesting guy. So I I said, hey, bro, just 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 don't ruin this book. Okay, just take care of this book. Okay, just as long as it comes back to me in one piece, you know, don't write in it. Just 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 keep it okay. okay. He texts me. He goes, hey, bro, you know, the back cover of of the book ripped off. And I, I, my immediate response was, bro, how? I was so upset. He was like, bro, I think it was just because of like wear and like use on the book. And I'm like, I'm like, I've read it one time. There's literally no way that, and I, the Lord was like, bro, no. And I was like, dang. So I was like, dude, like, it's a book. You're good. Like, you're, and I just know that on the other side of the screen, he was like freaking out because it was my one thing I said. And for me to just be like, don't worry about it. Like, you're good. It's just a book. It's like, for him, it's like the, oh, like, I'm good. That's what like forgiving other people does. It is such a way to preach the gospel to people that you, when you choose to forgive because people go, oh, that is not how I was expecting you to react. I'm so thankful that you, you're so like that you're just going to move past this and forgive me. And then obviously it goes to like deeper things. Like I grew up in a really, really reckless, broken household and I had to commit as I grew up to forgive my parents for the, just some horrible stuff that happened. And that was not a fun, easy process. Zero part of me wants to just let those things go and move on. But like Jesus says, no, I, I want you to see them the way I see them, which means you're going to let these things die and you're going to move past this and you're going to forgive them and you're not going to hold it against them ever again. And you're not. And when you forgive them, you're not going to come back and treat them as if it's still being held. Again. You're going to leave it alone, let it die and go. And so I, I actually think I've heard this in sermons that it's like you, you have to forgive, but you don't have to forget. That is a load. That's bulkered, bro. What's God forgiveness like? He says, I cast your, sea, your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Christian forgiveness is committed to forgetfulness. It's committed to it of like, I'm going to look at you as if that never happened because I'm committed to forgiving you the way that Jesus did. Now, of course, there's like forgiveness is like a personal thing, you know, it's like Paul, like totally defended himself in front of like Roman courts and things like that. You know, like and, and we definitely like on a on a cultural level really hate evil. Like I'm not willing to forgive cultural evil. You know what I'm saying? But on a personal one on one friendship relationship basis, I have to forgive no matter what. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 41, Jesus gives all these like really extreme examples where he says like, uh, you know, if someone slaps you in, in one cheek, turn to them and offer them the other. He says, if someone comes to take your, your shirt, offer them your cloak as well. In Jewish law, like you could be sued for your undershirt, but not for your outer cloak. So Jesus is going like, yeah, give them what, what they literally cannot force you to give them. And then my favorite one where we get go the extra mile in verse 41, he's like, if someone commands you, commands you to go with them a mile, go with them too. So in, like, in the Roman world, if you were a Roman soldier, you could look at any citizen, anybody, and go, carry my stuff for a mile. But only one mile. And Jesus says, they can't command you to go one mile, go two. That's what his forgiveness is like. He's walked us into and commanded us to walk into real extreme forgiveness that oftentimes will feel unfair. But it's all rooted in the way that Jesus hard. The world's to the cross and going like, you know what, Jesus, if you forgive me, I can commit. And I can make the decision, even when I don't want to, even when it makes no sense, even when I'm so hurt, that I'm going to lay this down and forgive. Because of the way that Jesus' forgiveness works. That Jesus looked at me in all my mess and all my crap and looked and just said, like, I'm going to do what it takes to make it possible for them to be forgiven, for them to be made clean, and for them to be, in re- to be reconciled to me. And that is like the, that feeling I'm expressing about my buddy, like when I text him and I'm like, bro, it's just a book. And the, the lightness he immediately feels of like the guilt he probably felt because it was like the one. 
He's like, oh man, I just, I feel so much better. I feel okay about this. It's not like eating him alive anymore. And it's the same thing. Like every single person apart from Jesus is living in condemnation, is living in shame. Whether they know it or not, is living in some kind of being haunted by the life they live. And the forgiveness of Jesus comes and says, you can have a real kind of lightness. You can, like, I'm going to forget these things. That the beholder, the judge of the world, is going to be the one to look at you and go, yeah, I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to forget that ever happened and I'm going to give you real forgiveness and you can feel the real lightness of what it means to have all your sins washed away. I mean, that is the gospel. That Jesus wanted you so badly that he died and shed his blood in your place so that you could be forgiven and that you would never have to consider how God felt about you ever again. You would never have to think like, is God feeling bitterness? Is, is he going to forgive me? Is his mercy stretched far enough? It's Jesus, God goes to the extent of saying, yeah, my mercies are new every morning. And they don't need to be, you know, but they are. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.